Happy Friday, friends. Hello, hello. Um, welcome back to another episode of Sister Strange. I'm Corey. I'm Holly. And thank you for taking the time with us last week to refocus our attentions where they need to go. Um, this week we have made a donation to, um, we haven't decided where this donation is going to go specifically yet. Um, I know there are some groups that let you make a donation and it sort of divides it up for you. We will be making a donation to an organization with some connection to the Black Lives Matter movement, whether it be um, protest or bail funds, memorial funds, um, LGBTQ resources. Um, we are here with you. We see you. We hear you. And Black Lives Matter. So we encourage you guys to donate as well if you can. Um, if it's financially possible for you, please do. Um, get out in the streets, make some noise. Help defund the police. <laughs> Demilitarize <laughs> the police. I was about to say, I hate the phrasing defund because it's not defunding the police. It's demilitarizing it, here's, the police. Here's the thing, though, and, and we're going to get political for a second. I don't care. Um, we question the idea, or we... People are questioning the idea of defunding the police, but we've been defunding social services and education programs for so mm -hmm. long, and no one's batting an eyelash at that. So, yes, we need to defund and demilitarize the police. Full stop. End of story. Um, but, yeah, political tangent. Because <laughs> um, it's necessary. So yeah. we have a little bit of business today, I don't do. we? I Aren't actually you have... Two things of business today. You go first, and then I will talk about my business. I have Pangolin-related business. Yes. And I have Dudley Town-related business. Let's do it. All right. So I found this one this morning. Pangolin scales are no longer listed as approved traditional China medicine in China. And Pangolins are now ranked Class 1 under... The nation's wildlife protection law, a status also given to the panda, and this is via National Geographic. Good job, China. Yay! You. Good job. In Dudley Town related news, I might have someone that has an in to Dudley Town legally. That's exciting. Um, I can't go into too much detail or drop names or anything like that because it's still technically illegal but getting in is legal it's very complicated mm -hmm. um so that's very exciting so either a very close friend of mine or myself with a group may be going it may happen it may not but the fact that my small group of weirdos that enjoy creepy things um might have someone that knows how to do do this legally is very exciting that's very exciting will you take pictures and video maybe maybe if i have the opportunity to go maybe cool um just for the simple fact that i don't want to i don't want to take too much 
video and things like that just to be like, no, I wasn't there. What are you talking about, officer? Well, kind of thing. legally. But it's still, that's where it gets tricky because entering isn't going through any private property. It's actually going through um, a strip of, uh, I don't remember what it's called. Like, it's kind of public, but at the same time, the land that Dudley Town is on is still privately owned. So it's... Right. So it's a gray area. It's, it's very a very gray, gray area. area. Okay. It's very, so very we'll keep gray. you updated on that then. Yes. Cool. So what my business. You got? Um, so we haven't covered this yet, and I kind of had plans to cover this. So Forrest Fenn was sort of a self-proclaimed or is a self-proclaimed explorer and um, adventurer. And several, uh, 10, 15 years ago, he was diagnosed with terminal cancer, from my understanding. Um, So he wrote his biography and he hid in the Rocky Mountains a treasure chest um, that was worth about $2 million. So we're talking... Golds, uh, gold, jewels, um, antiquities, artifacts, that sort of thing. Um, and it was hidden in the national parks, um, in the Rocky Mountains National Park, somewhere between Santa Fe and the Canadian border, above 5,000 feet. Um, and there were other stipulations. And in his autobiography, Forrest Fenn po- uh, wrote a poem that was supposed to guide people to this um, treasure. And if you found it, it was yours. Great. If not, SOL. Someone found Forrest Fenn's treasure. Um, several days ago, as of day of recording, um, I'm looking at an NPR article right now. Um, someone found, after more than 10 years, someone found Forrest Fenn's treasure. There's not a lot of um, details about who found it or exactly where it was found. Um, I don't think Forrest Fenn himself has met this individual. Um, oh, I remember he's still seeing alive. he's still alive. Yeah, he. Yeah, he, you didn't mention that. Yeah, he got better. I guess <laughs> the well, cancer went. He got better from his terminal cancer. I guess the cancer went into remission. Um, good for him. Yeah, and you know, I guess he's doing well. Um, I know. I saw something about some of the artifacts in the chest being dubious in nature. Um, eh, Like, like questionable legality Mm. behind some of that stuff. Human Um, skulls. Me. I don't know. That's questionable in legality. Yeah. (laughs) Like Um, what? And I've always wondered this. At what point does a skeleton become an artifact and not grave robbing? Well, it's always grave robbing. This is actually a really interesting conversation. Um, and it's something that Caitlin Doty and Emily Grassley actually talked about on an episode of The Brain Scoop. Um, about human remains in um, museums and and the ethical dilemma that sort of goes along that. And I will post that in the description for this episode because I think it's actually really fascinating. Mm. Um, And two people who are going to know the most about that are the, you know, published mortician and and knowledgeable, this like 
New York Times bestselling author and mortician and a, a young lady who had an entire position made for her at one of America's most prestigious natural history museums. So that's up. And the last piece of business, business, as it were, um, Holly and I are officially launching our Patreon. Yay. Um, so podcasting is not an inexpensive hobby. We did receive some donations. Haven't purchased new microphones yet. Sorry, guys. Um, that's sort of the first goal. Um, but in order to sort of keep us going and improve the quality of our work, we do. We would like your support. Um, and some of you have, have asked already if there's a way for us to for you guys to support us. So our Patreon is now live. Um, just search Sister Strange on Patreon. We've got three tiers. Um, and they may change a little bit, but we will let you guys know when that happens. There is a $5 tier, a $10 tier, a $20 tier. Um, at $5, you guys are pygmy big feet. Um, and you'll receive a producer credit for the episode. At $10, you guys are Fresno Nightcrawlers, um, so you will receive that producer credit in every episode's description, and you will get early access to our script, so you'll have an idea of what the episode is on Thursday instead of Friday. Um, we will spell check and grammar check to the best of our <laughs> abilities, so please and be kind. Yeah, and you'll get to see sort of what we omit and how we omit things, because um, I know I'll read thing, read sentences and completely disregard what I wrote and rewrite, like, Quickly. Yeah. And for $20 a month, you are Mothman, um, which means you will get the early access to episode script, a producer credit in every episode description, and we will be opening up to a monthly AMA episode. So you ask us questions. We will sit down once a month, the, probably at the end of the month. We haven't worked out logistics on that and answer your questions. And who knows? This may be a video chat. We might upload video for you guys. Um, and you know, if Holly goes to Dudley Town, we, if there's pictures and video from that, we might just put it on the Patreon for you guys. Um, I know I'm planning a trip to West Virginia to sort of explore Mothman and the Flatwoods Monster, and I'll take you guys live at the Mothman Festival. I have no problem with that. Um, so I yeah. don't do anything fun, so <laughs> neither do I. You're stuck with Corey. <laughs> <laughs> so if you f so feel inclined to send some love and some monetary support our way. We are on Patreon. Search the Sister Strange. Um, and we will do our best to keep on top of these Patreon tiers. We are two people. Um, Sometimes knows, three. So, like two and a half. Two and a half. <laughs> two and a half. And who knows, maybe maybe Ethan will be open to doing something for the $20 a month Patreon. Oh, Ethan will absolutely be open to do so doing something once a month maybe. when I tell yeah. him to. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe eventually, if we have a high enough tier, maybe we'll send you. Um, maybe we can get Ethan to do doodles of people in our spaceship. Ah, that'd be really cute, right? Maybe. So, if that's something you guys are interested in, um, go ahead and let us know. So, that's all the business for this episode, I think. Also, this is my reminder. At least in North America, we are entering summer. Um, and I don't know about up there with you, Holly, but like, 
it's hot and it's humid. hot it's humid it's, sort of it's like, muggy i have friends yeah you texas folk are gonna gonna have something to say about this but it's really humid here in connecticut right now and while 85 doesn't sound that hot when it's also like 80 percent humidity and it feels like you're drowning every time you take a breath it's like walking <laughs> through very dense pudding yeah so stay hydrated Especially if you're going out to protest, wear your masks, but stay hydrated, y'all. Take care of yourselves. Be safe. Be safe. That's all the business I think now. <laughs> Drink your water. Okay. So this week, what are we talking about this week, Holly? <laughs> My brain stopped working. Okay, Why did you I'll have to ask me such hard questions? Surprise. Um, so this week... Holly and I are traveling back to the natural world because um, I, th- I think it's been a minute since we've done a natural world, like yeah. the earth situation. The earth situation. The you earth know that situation. rock that we've been hanging out on for a couple billion years? That yeah, one. Yeah, that one. Um, we're talking about natural disaster. Um, specifically, and I think both of us have not necessarily a high death count, but really mine is not a high death count yours is not a high death count but they're both very devastating oh absolutely because we're talking about specific events we're not talking about wide broad you know topics we're speaking about very specific events um so for nearly 125 years mount st helens sat dormant not a rumble the morning of may 18th 1980 changed everything the first major volcanic event in the lower 48 since 1915 put out eight times more energy than every explosion of World War II, including the two atomic bombs dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. The landscape of Washington State and volcanic research changed forever. So my sources for the Mount St. Helens 1980 eruption are Wikipedia, mostly for the timeline, United States Geological Survey videos for Uh, titled Mount St. Helens, May 18th, 1980, and Mount St. Helens, A Catalyst for Change, a Smithsonian Channel video footage of the 1980 Mount St. Helens eruption, a New York Times article by Robin George Andrews, an NPR article by Howard Burgess, and a CNN article by Allah Elisar, which I'm really hoping I pronounced that name correctly, trying my best. We begin two months earlier on March 15th, 1980, with a series of small earthquakes. The USGS, the United States Geological Survey, monitored these earthquakes carefully and found they indicated the buildup and movement of magma beneath the volcano. Five days later, at 3.45 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, a 4.2 magnitude earthquake shook the north side of the mountain. An earthquake... Earthquake? That sounds delicious. (laughs) Mm, (laughs) Earthquake. (laughs) Happy Earth Day. Here's your Earth Day. Yay. Our planet is dying. Um, (laughs) And we're cracking jokes. Yeah. An earthquake swarm began to peak around March 25th with a 5.1 magnitude earthquake. A phreatic eruption, which is quickly heated groundwater turning into steam escaping the mountain, created a new crater 250 feet wide and sent an ash column some 7,000 feet into the air. It fell as far as Bend, Oregon, 150 miles south, and Spokane, Washington, 285 miles east. 
March 29th saw the creation of a new crater and blue flame of burning gas bursting forth. The ash clouds pouring from the volcano generated enough static electricity to create its own lightning. On April 1st, after two days of increasingly intense seismic activity, Governor Dixie Lee Ray, who I guess was a badass in her own right, she was Washington State's first female governor, she had a doctorate in biology, she was a SAS master extraordinaire, but I digress, declared a state of emergency. Within the last week of April, Governor Ray established a quote-unquote red zone by executive order, but pressure from those with cabins and permits kept the danger zone shrinking. Those in violation would be fined $500 in 1980. A lava dome 1.5 miles in diameter bulged out of the north side of the mountain. Geologists warned that the bulge sliding could cause an eruption. May 7th, more eruptions like March and April. All in all, between March 15th and May 17th, some 100,000 individual earthquakes registered in the area. On Saturday, May 17th, public pressure convinced officials to allow 50 carloads of property owners to evacuate as much as they could. The morning of March 18th began as the last two months had. This is where we introduce vulc volcanologist David Johnston with USGS, who is an, at an observation post six miles north of the volcano. Johnston was in the red zone. 8.32 a.m., a, a 5.1 magnitude earthquake directly below the bulge caused it to slide up to 155 miles per hour down the north side of the mountain. It filled the valley of the North Fork Toodle River with avalanche debris. And I read, side note, not in my script, I read it was something like 600 feet deep into this river. Damn. The massive, la yeah, this massive landslide, the largest in recorded history, caused the high pressure magma to er erupt laterally. The flow moved fast topping out at 670 miles per hour. Some speculate the flow may have even surpassed the speed of sound. It overtook the landslide debris, annihilating an area 23 miles wide by 19 miles long. The superheated flow hit Spirit Lake and North Fork Toodle River, causing steam and a secondary explosion that was heard as far away as Montana, Idaho, Northern California, and British Columbia. The blast itself, as lateral, created three zones, the direct blast zone, the channelized blast zone, and the seared zone. The direct blast zone was an area with an eight-mile radius in which everything was obliterated. David Johnston was in this direct blast zone, being only six miles from the volcano. It's David Johnston, according to a CNN article, that helped keep people out of the red zone and keep the death toll as low as it was. Also within the direct blast zone was National Geographic photographer Robert Landsberg. When confronted with the approaching ash cloud, Landsberg rewound his film, replaced his camera in its bag, the camera bag in his backpack, and shielded to the backpack with his body. 17 days later, Landsberg's body and his backpack were recovered, his film developed, and the shots published in National Geographic. And it's these shots that also sort of helped volcanic research. So scientists now have an idea of, they know how far apart his um, shots were, and so they know how fast this ash cloud was going and what it looked like when an ash cloud sort of overtakes an area. The channelized blast zone, roughly 8 to 19 miles out from the volcano, is also known as the tree down zone. Tree life in this area was snapped at the base, much like a crop circle. 
The seared zone, or standing Z zone, is beyond the channelized blast zone. Trees stood, but were singed brown by the heat and gas of the blast. So let's talk numbers. The ash cloud reached 80,000 feet in under 15 minutes, circled the Earth in 15 days, and the fall covered 22,000 square miles. The lava flow covered six square miles and burned at least 1,300 degrees Fahrenheit. Mount St. Helens itself was changed. The blast removed 1,314 feet from the summit and left a crater 1.2 by 1.8 miles wide and 2,084 feet deep. In total, 57 human lives were lost, as well as some 7,000 big game animals, all birds, most small mammals, and the Washington Department of Fisheries estimate 12 million salmon fingerlings. Aww. Between 2004 and 2008, Mount St. Helens began new volcanic events. A new lava dome formed, and the mountain went through continuous eruptions triggered by some 200 minuscule earthquakes. Since the activity ceased in uh, January of 2008, Mount St. Helens has again remained dormant. And that is the 1980s Mount St. Helens eruption. And just for that, because it's 2020, it's going to erupt again because, you know, that's how our year is going. Well, the cool thing about the main, cool thing, the cool thing about the Mount St. Helens eruption is it really brought focus to the geography and the geology of of our country, right? So mm-hmm. this isn't the only ma- volcano in the lower 48. There, so they're in the lower lower 48. Or don't know if it's just the lower 48. I'm going to correct that. So in the U.S., they've uh, the USG, USGS has established six outposts. So they are constantly monitoring the um, active uh, the mountains with potential the mountains with potential to become volcanoes um, for earthquake activity and magma shifting and gas release. Um, And it's thanks to, you know, it's thanks to people like David Johnston, who, you know, he was monitoring six miles away from this, this volcano. Mm -hmm. Um, And Robert Landsberg, who's only one of several um, photographers who again were are credited with helping change geologic research. Um, there's also a story of an older gentleman. He was like in his 80s, kind of reminds me of our grandfather, in which he was not budging. He's lived under the mountain his entire life, not going anywhere now. Um, and he refused to evacuate his cabin and the lava flow and um, ash cloud overtook him. Harry R. Truman, I believe is the gentleman's name. Oh, well, it's like 84. He was, he was an older gentleman. Um, yeah. 83. I'm sorry. 83. Um, and like I said, he was not going no place. Mm-mm. Um, So, um, and then there are videos of people urban exploring, not urban exploring, but exploring in the area affected by the lava flow and, you know, close enough 
to the mountain. Um, and it's, it's eerie. Like there are some areas where 40 years later, because, you know, we, it just celebrated its 40th anniversary where there's still no plant life. Which is very interesting to me because a lot of the time with volcanic eruptions, because that ash is so rich, plant life tends to flourish afterwards. I think a lot of it also has to do, it's a combination of things, right? Yeah. So you've got this avalanche first, which has wiped everything out, and then you had the lava flow on top of it. So ash or not, it's buried underneath debris and... Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there are still A-frame cabins in the middle of the woods that have just haven't been touched in the last 40 years because people were forced to evacuate. And much like uh, COVID-19, you've got people who are fighting, you know, let me go fishing. Let me go back to my cabin. And it, it's for your own good. You don't need a haircut, Karen. <laughs> don't got to go to the beach either. You don't got to go to the beach. Um, But yeah, so there are like, there's pictures of, the picture of a car I've seen, I believe that photographer, and again, I forget his name. um, I believe they actually made it out of the zone, like out of that direct blast zone. Yeah. Uh, But yeah. So that's, that's Mount St. Helens. That's fun. Super fun. As fun as volcanic eruptions can be. Well, I mean. What do you got? I know what you got. but I know what you... <laughs> I, I just like giving you a segue. Well, no, it's just about as fun as volcanic eruptions. What's as fun as volcanic eruptions? Tornadoes. 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 Um... On the morning of May 31st, 2013, the residents of May. I know. It's something about May. It's going to be May. Uh, Yeah, pretty much. Um, (laughs) Have you seen any of the memes of, like, the unsuspecting guy and then the big guy behind him and the unsuspecting guy says on his shirt, uh, survived the Mayan apocalypse and the big dude behind him and says that one dyslexic mind that meant 2021 instead of 2012. Uh, have I you seen that? Uh, I have not, but I actually just saw something about the Mayan calendar. Oh, so I guess God. when, I guess in the 1500s, when we switched over to the Gregorian calendar, we lost eight years. Oh, so what if, if we lost eight years and we go back those eight years, where would that put us? Math is hard. 2012. Maybe the Mayans were right. I mean. Anyway, so yes, tornadoes. <laughs> Sorry, interrupted. No, it's all right. Because when you said, I forget what you said, but it's like, I m- meme. <laughs> On the morning of May 31st, 2013, the residents of El Reno, Oklahoma would wake up and go about their day, not knowing the devastation that would come about in the form of a record-breaking tornado. My sources are... Pesos Hank on YouTube. He I love has, Pesos Hank. He has a, a coolest. wonderful, like very absolutely wonderful uh, video from this tornado. 
um, weather.gov and earthsky.gov. Earlier in the day, the Storm Prediction Center issued a loaded gun warning for the Oklahoma City area. At approximately 4.37 p.m. CST, three small storm cells appeared and minutes later, they reached severe status. What starts as three separate storms quickly becomes one. At 5.38 CST, a tornado warning was issued by the SPC and the storm had intensified greatly. The, this tornado peaks at a width of 2.6 miles, which is larger than Manhattan, width-wise. The widest tornado in United States history. So here's a basic breakdown of how a tornado is formed. A, stor a large storm called a supercell is formed in the cum cumulonimbus cloud. Cumulonimbus. Uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Words are hard, okay? A supercell is distinguishable by its high altitude and large wind rotation caused by wind shears, which is a change in speed and direction causing the wind to rotate horizontally and warm updrafts from the ground. The combination of these two elements causes a mesocyclone to form. And when the warm air from the ground meets the cool, moist air from the storm, uh, it creates a rotating wall cloud that begins to lower to the ground, which is basically the vortex forming to uh, it eventually make contact with the ground. As the storm progresses, it gathers speed and power until the funnel meets land. At that point, you have a fully formed tornado that will continue to grow in size and size and speed until it dissipates. A tornado can last anywhere from a few seconds to a few minutes, and very few have exceeded the 10 minute mark. Now, Something else to know about tornadoes is that they are scaled using the enhanced Fujita scale, which ranges from an EF1, which is the least devastating, to an EF5, which is the most devastating. These numbers are based off of the max wind speed at the storm's peak and the amount of damage the storm may potentially cause. Now, supercells are a rare form of thunderstorm but it's even rarer for them to form tornadoes at all. In fact, only about 10 to 20% form tornadoes. And out of that 10 to 20%, only five are ever given an EF3 rating, and less than one are given an EF4 or higher. The El Reno tornado was originally given an EF3 rating, but it was later changed to an EF5 due to its high wind speed and destructive nature. The storm lasted for 40 minutes, and the tornado was on the ground for a total of four, four minutes. In four minutes, it traveled a total of 16.2 miles, reaching speeds over 55 miles per hour, and its max wind speed hit over 295 miles per hour. For whatever reason, tornadoes in Oklahoma tend to travel northeast, but this tornado started its journey by traveling southeast. Due to the high winds, the large wedge shape of this tornado and its erratic behavior, it claimed over uh, 
over 150 people were injured, and nine of them tragically lost their lives. Out of that nine, Tim Samaras, a meteorologist, his 24-year-old son, Paul, a photographer, and Carl Young, a meteorologist, members of the Twist Tex, storm chasers, tragically died in that dangerous tornado that day. It's the first ever recorded death of a storm chaser dying in a tornado. Um, something else that I thought was really interesting interesting but terrible at the same time was the weather channel actually had a group of meteorologists and scientists out that day to record this tornado and gather data on it and they were two of their three of their vehicles were directly hit one of which got um tossed like off the ground chucked several feet and everyone survived um the driver wound up with several uh broken neck and several broken vertebrae in their back while the other passengers somehow got away with just minor um minor injuries now what i love about pecos hank's video is that not only does he show the tornado forming and how quickly it grows in strength and size. Um, he also takes the time to show um, show the wildlife reacting to it. Um, mm-hmm. There's a point where a woman whose husband is at home near the airport where this tornado um, did make contact to um he pulls over to let her use his cell phone because her, the phone where she was at, I guess, didn't have service. Mm. Um, but in the background, you can even see a domesticated dog just being like, nope, I'm out of here. Right. Yeah. I know that part. Um, Um. but there's, especially for Tim Samaras, I think I'm saying his last name correctly. Um, Nat Geo actually put out quite a few uh, memorial videos and like his best work videos because he contributed so much information as far as thunderstorms and supercells and tornadoes go. And it was a very, very tragic loss. Um, not to saying that the other six that lost their lives wasn't tragic, but he went out with a purpose of, hey, I'm going to gather as much information to help try and prevent more tragedy. Right. Um, I'm not a huge fan of thunderstorms, and the idea of tornadoes makes me very uncomfortable. I'm very, very happy I live somewhere that is very hilly, and we have very minimal threat, not to say it's not possible, because Mm. we have had very small tornadoes in Connecticut. I always, and I should have looked this up, but I didn't. Um, So maybe some of you in Tornado Alley can actually tell us, like, when you're a kid, you do fire drills in school, and I'm sure you guys did tornado drills when you were in school and had assemblies and things like that on it. Um, But 
it it's always very interesting to me. I'm like, what do people do when they're out in fields or out in somewhere where there isn't immediate shelter? And like I said, I should have looked this up, but I didn't. Um, but the fact that this tornado was only on the ground for four minutes and traveled as quickly as it did, it's that is mildly terrifying to me. Mm. But that's really it for the El Reno. Well, I'm the El Reno tornado was a monster. It, it was, was. It it's was the largest tornado the, in recorded history. It's the, the widest, widest, not the largest. Well, the widest. It, it is two miles widest. across at its two widest point. point. Uh, 2.3 miles or something two to point, that effect. Hold on. Boop, 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 boop. Where is that? 2.6 miles. Um, I will actually send you um, and have Corey posted on the Instagram. Mm-hmm. I found a really good um, like gauge of how wide 2.6 miles is just to put it in perspective. Yeah. It, it, this was a beast, and um, it was what the death count, uh, the the fatalities were only what four, nine, 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 nine. and approximately only, a, only as as such. Uh, yeah, there it, have there have been more devastating death tolls. Not correct. to say that any loss of life is um, unimportant, mm-hmm. but the fact that this is a monster of a tornado and the death toll was kept so low is, is sort of remarkable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to say a week prior to this particular tornado, Oklahoma city had actually just been hit by a different, I want to say it was an F3 or an F4 tornado mm-hmm. within a so, week. Yeah. So they were dealing with trying to rebuild and that whole death count and making sure that whatever survivors are being taken care of and trying to rebuild and recover from one. And then a week later, they're hit by the widest one ever recorded in American history. And I think people are like, I, I find it remarkable. This is the widest because the swath of damage that this thing left, Mm -hmm. like, I feel like for a while, Satellite pictures, you could trail like track the damage this thing left. Yep. Um, I think you can still track it. I have a whole bunch of things images. For you to slap yeah. up on that um, Instagram. I think satellite images you can still track the the sort of southeast and and the curve that this this yeah. monster. I just it, just it changed the landscape. Another thing that I think is really interesting when I was doing my research. And this is that for whatever reason, tornadoes in Oklahoma tend to travel northeast. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that's so interesting to me. <laughs> well, I mean, it's the reason that we're fascinated by rivers that flow north, mm-hmm. right? Looking at you, Nile. Um, or, or the fact that toilets flush in different directions depending on where you're spinning on the planet. See, to me, that makes more sense because of... But it may just be something about Oklahoma's topography and geographic pull. And I don't, I'm sure there's a reason for it. 
Yeah. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a meteorologist. Nope. I work Don't. retail, y'all. <laughs> so we, we both work retail. Yeah. So. But. But, yeah. I told you I would do the El Reno tornado. You picked that. I know. Ma'am. I know. Cool. Well, unfortunately for me, volcanoes are just so boring. (laughs) Um, They don't hold my attention, whereas something... With tornadoes, they're so visual. Like, talking about them doesn't do them justice. That's fair. And I'm a very, very visual person. That's fair. So, tornadoes are... Tornadoes are always going to be more interesting because you can watch the formation happen. You can watch the um, funnel hit the ground and you have gotten me stuck on a, uh, what's his name? Just my entire YouTube feed is now tornado. Thank tank. you. <laughs> yep. That's all it is. Thank I you. I highly recommend Pico Tank. Like mm-hmm. in, in my list of, of, worth it youtube channels he's he's pretty high up oh, there yeah. and he's um, fun he's very like, fun i would hang out with pecos hank probably think, a little irritated after a couple hours but i would hang out with pecos hank yeah um, hank. also didn't realize this um tim actually guest starred on uh storm chasers the mm-hmm. discovery channel yeah i think he and reed worked relatively closely together i think mm-hmm. um for uh, a while it's i feel like he was just such a sad loss of life because he was very self-educated and he went from very little to what he was doing and making such great progress and he was um, so influ- influential like from what oh, I yeah. understand and what I've seen, because I've seen a lot of these um, sort of memorial best of and like yeah. a lot of the Weather Channel, I think, did an entire episode breaking down what happened like following his car. Yeah. Um, and and he's so influential. Like if if you ask any storm chaser who some of their biggest inspirations is, he's he's right up there. Yeah. The, and there are pictures of the car and it's just devastating. It is absolutely devastating. It's totaled. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, to uh, risk a family guy quote, damn, nature, you scary. Yep. That's half of what we're talking about. Like, half of the concept of this podcast, right? Is, yep. yeah, we go with the spooky and the true crime and the weird and the what. But there's also so much in the natural world mm-hmm. as opposed to the supernatural that we take for granted, I think. Yeah. In this sort of paranormal, supernatural, in in this world that we live in, right? Yeah. That that we've sort of inserted ourselves into. Um, Nature is absolutely terrifying. Stay inside. Well, for, forget COVID. Just stay inside. Nature is scary. Nature is scary. Um. Coming from the one that lives in the middle of the woods. Right. You see bears. You were just talking about how Murray saw a bear. Yeah. Yeah. There was a bear in our yard this morning. How'd that go? The bear could 
care less. My cat was freaking out, though. Worried, Murray. Very worried, Murray. He's a big old cat. He is a big old cat. <laughs> well, the bear, I mean. Look at the cat, like the bear, like that's a big cat. Mm-hmm. I'm going to mess it up. No, no. That was, <laughs> oh, my God, please throw me back in the house. Aww. Oh, you had him out on his leash? No, he was out on the porch. We just haven't oh. walked off, so he can't oh, okay. go anywhere. Gotcha. But growling, the tail puffed up, and oh, bug. everyone who meets my cat for the first time thinks he's absolutely te- petrified because his tail's so big, like, naturally. I'm like, no, he's fine. That's just how big his tail is. Yeah, no, this looked like... Have, do you remember those um, static... Uh, like dusters? Yeah. <laughs> That's what he looked like? Yep. Buddy. Yeah. Well, thank you all for listening. Real easy episode this Not easy, but different episode this week. Yeah. Um, all the relevant images will be on our Instagram, at Sister Strange Podcast. Um, if there's something you want us to chit-chat about, or if you've got an answer to any of our questions, or if we totally borked up some information, email us, sisterstrangepodcast at yahoo.com. Consider supporting us on Patreon, um, The Sisters Strange. Um, And we will see you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.